Welcome back to The Compass, the podcast ministry of Calvary Baptist Church of Fayetteville, Arkansas. We're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue our journey through God's Word. Now, in today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is going to be talking about the issue of anxiety. But before we get to our message, I want to invite you to come and to worship with us at Calvary. We're located at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And you can find out more information at calvaryfayetteville.com or email us at info at calvaryfayetteville.com. Now, if you have more questions, be sure to reach out to us by phone. You can find us at 479-442-4634. Again, on today's podcast, Pastor Kirk is going to be sharing a message entitled God's Antidote for Anxiety from Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Let's listen together. All right, for a couple of more Sundays, Lord willing, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, page number 982, if you want to read out of one of the pew Bibles in the book rack in front of you, if you don't have your own Bible. Philippians 4, page 982. Well, at the beginning of this series, as we uh, first started in the book of Philippians, we said that Philippians is one of the favorite New Testament books for many people. And one of the reasons for that, maybe uh, the primary reason, is because it has some of the most memorized, some of the most quoted verses to be found in all of the Bible. You heard me refer to them as coffee cup verses. Now the reason for that is if you go into a Christian bookstore, if you can find a Christian bookstore anymore, right? Or maybe a gift shop uh, that handles um, spiritual things, you'll find coffee cups, you'll find wall hangings, you'll find sofa pillows, you'll find all kinds of things uh, that are adorned with some of the verses that you find in the book of Philippians. We've already encountered several of these. Chapter 1, verse 6, And I am sure of this, Paul says, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Also in chapter 1, verse 21, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. We found some very famous verses in chapter 2, and then in chapter 3, we read these words as Paul gives his declaration, his testimony. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Next week, uh, if everything unfolds as planned, you will uh, hear a couple of more, two or three more, that are very well known to us as Paul draws this letter to a close. Chapter 4, verse 11. I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Or maybe verse 19, or verse 13, excuse me. I can do all things through Christ 
who strengthens me. Or maybe verse 19. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Well, all of these nuggets of gold are mined in the book of Philippians. And that's why it is such a favorite, and I trust that it has been uh, helpful to you so far. Well, today's passage, today's text, uh, in chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, also records some very memorable and often memorized verses. Let's begin reading with verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. Well, I want to talk to you today about one of the great struggles that I think at some time or the other, and for some of us, maybe every day, a struggle that, that we deal with. And Paul states a command are an imperative very clearly in verse 6 when he says, do not be anxious about anything. Some translations read worry. Do not worry about anything. Anxiety. Worry. Are you, uh, are you anxious about anything today? Are you worrying about anything? You know, one of, the, um, one of the struggles with this idea of anxiety and worry, and one of the realities that we must recognize is that anxiety and worry are just the expressions, sometimes outwardly, quite often inwardly, testifying to our spirits of something that is much deeper. And the deeper cause behind worry and anxiety is fear. It's fear. We worry and are anxious. We fear about things like our health, either ours or someone that we love very close to us. We worry and we fear about safety. 
we are living in an increasingly dangerous world. Are, are you aware of that? That our schools, that shopping in a public shopping center or even a Walmart is not necessarily a safe place anymore. We worry about our security, whether it's financial, whether it's relational security. We worry about spiritual needs, the spiritual needs of our spouses, perhaps, our spiritual needs of our children or our grandchildren. So many things to worry about, so many things to be anxious about, and things that cause us to fear deep down inside. There is a key truth that we need to nail down here at the very beginning before we get into anything else Paul had to say. And the key truth is this. Fear does not come from God. Fear does not come from God. Well, with the exception of snakes and spiders. Now, we can all be afraid of those things. And I believe that only makes sense. Okay. But other than that, fear does not come from God. Paul told Timothy in his second letter to him, For God gave us a spirit not of fear. The spirit God gave us is not of fear, but it is the spirit of power and of love and of self-control. Okay, so... If fear does not come from God, where does it come from then? Well, obviously, the other uh, answer to that is that it comes from the enemy of our souls. It comes from Satan himself. If Satan can, can fill your heart with fear for any of those things that we've mentioned so far or anything else, and, and the resulting of that fear, the anxiety and the worry, understand that it robs you and it robs me of peace. And God is the author of peace. Satan is the author of fear and of unrest and of anxiety. And we understand that God does not want us to be overcome with worry and fear and anxiety, but to live with a peaceful heart in a peaceful life. Now, this passage is going to speak to, to that subject. And, and I've entitled the message, God's Antidotes to Anxiety. But we could have just as well called it God's Pathway to Peace. Because these things work in balance with each other or in contrast with each other. Keep in mind, the future has two handles by which you choose every day to take hold of it. You either take hold of the future by the handle of fear, or you take hold of the future by the handle of faith. And the choice, child of God, is yours, if indeed you are a child of God. Now, I mentioned several things very, uh, you know, simply kind of a top water list while ago of things we often worry about. But understand, beneath those things, there are very real issues in life for people to deal with, believers as well as unbelievers. 
We all have to deal with the issue of potential rejection. Now, keep in mind, these Philippian believers struggled with that. They were living in a hostile environment. They were living in a colony of Rome, in the Roman Empire. And as believers 2,000 years ago in places like Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, Antioch, Corinth, wherever you want to imagine it, in the Mediterranean Sea area as the gospel, as the church was spreading and growing. Understand, it was all the Roman Empire and they had fears of rejection. Paul dealt with rejection, the rejection of his Jewish brothers and sisters who turned him out when he gave his heart to Christ. And these Philippians dealt with the struggle of rejection. They dealt with the struggle of resistance the message of Christ was not always readily received. In fact, oftentimes it caused not only uh, resistance, but hostility. Paul was beaten multiple times. He experienced shipwreck. He's writing this letter from a Roman prison. And there was resistance to the message that was being preached in Philippi. From the very first day that it was preached, 10 years before, it landed Paul and Silas in jail. And so rejection, resistance. Uh, understand, recession is a very real issue in their world. Their support for Paul was waning. He was, was writing uh, to the um, churches, or referring to the churches in Macedonia in a later letter, and he referred to the extreme poverty of these people in Macedonia. That would be the Philippians, uh, the Bereans, and the Thessalonians. And so they were dealing with, with issues of just getting by. Oftentimes, giving your life to Christ ostracized you so much that you lost your job, you lost your work, you lost your livelihood, you lost your income. Not only that, but relationships. Relationships. There was friction in this church. He's already named Euodia and Syntyche, these two women that, that had some kind of conflict that, that was threatening the church and, and could cause a disruption of the unity of that congregation. There's always been struggles in relationships as the gospel enters into people's lives. You think it's going to make everything right in your life when you give your life to Christ? I want to tell you something. Everything is not going to be smooth and easy. All hell is going to break loose around you when you decide to follow Christ with all your heart. But understand this. Don't fear that. Don't fear that. Because when all hell breaks loose around you, all heaven comes to your rescue. And that's the truth. So when you look down that list of rejection, resistance, recession, relationships, these are some of the issues these people are dealing with as Paul writes to them. They are issues that you have to deal with, and so do I today. And they cause us anxiety. They cause us worry. They cause us fear. So what's the answer to that? Well, uh, let's look at some imperatives that Paul gives these people. Now, you remember what an imperative is. Uh, that means the same thing in the English that it means in the Greek. 
that understand that as this Bible was written, the, God, the New Testament, these letters were uh, recorded for us in the Greek language, and it's a very specific language, and it has uh, very specific meanings, far more specific, far more accurate than our English language ever will be. And so we have certain things that are said that are imperatives. That means they are commands. They are not suggestions. They are not hints. They are not good ideas for successful living. Paul gives imperatives. Do these things. This is what God has for you. This is what God is saying. And those imperatives are wrapped and clothed in indicatives, in other uh, explanations, indicators that help us to understand why the commands are important. Now, in some of the texts we've read so far in our study of, of uh, Philippians, we may have read a paragraph or eight or ten verses and only had one or two commands, but Paul gives several Several. He's come to the end of the letter. He's coming to the, to the end of the book. In our text a moment ago, we read the word finally. He said that last chapter. <laughs> Didn't really mean it. Uh, what he was saying basically was, now hear this. And so he's saying this now. Now hear this. I'm getting to my conclusion. And as Paul often does in his letters, when he gets down to what we have as the last chapter of a letter, sometimes he gives us bam, 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 truths, almost bullet points. And that's what he's doing here about how to overcome anxiety, how to overcome worry, how to overcome fear. He's giving us some imperatives for how to find peace in life. So imperatives for peaceful living. There's four of them in this passage. Number one in verse four, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. The first imperative is to rejoice. Be full of joy. Be glad. Do this always, in all circumstances, and at all times, whether you're experiencing prosperity or hardship, whether you're on top of your world or whether you're in a Roman prison, at all times and in all circumstances, rejoice. Now, this is a recurring theme throughout the book of Philippians. Rejoice. Be joyful. Seven times in this book, we find Paul ringing that bell. In chapter 2, verse 18, he said, Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Chapter 3, verse 1, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Chapter 4 and verse 4, we just now read it twice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I will say, rejoice. And so we find in these, in these few verses over and over again this matter of living a joyful, a joyful rejoicing life. Now, understand two things about rejoicing. Two things. To rejoice is a choice. 
to rejoice is a choice. If you are not rejoicing today, it's not because of your problems. If you're not rejoicing today, if you're not rejoicing as a child of God, it's because you have chosen to live something different. Why? Because rejoicing, this is the, the expression of mature faith, and mature faith always rejoices, according to Pastor Matt Chandler. Uh, understand that to rejoice is a choice we make. We always have the potential for that. We always have the power for that. We always have the ability for that when we choose to focus on the right things and when we choose to live joyfully rather than dismally. You know, oftentimes God's people walk around like they've lost, you know, their last, their last friend. Yet God is still on his throne. Yet they still have the spirit of God in their hearts. Yet they still have the word of God. Yet God is standing ready to bless. And whether you're in a prison or whether you are uh, the king of the hill, understand that to rejoice is a choice you have to make. And so when Paul says rejoice, and again I will say rejoice, and to do it always, he's saying make the right choice as a child of God. And understand, he leaves no loopholes here. That's the second truth. He leaves no loopholes. Rejoice when? Always. Always. Rejoice always, in every circumstance, in every situation. Rejoice, rejoice. Imperative number one. Imperative number two, be gentle. Be gentle. Verse five, the first part of it says, and I don't like the way the ESV translated this, and I don't have enough sense personally to to correct them for it. So I consulted others who know far more than I, and, and most scholars agree that the word reasonableness is not the best translation for the word here. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Granted, it is a difficult word to translate from the Greek, but most often, I think maybe the NIV has it best, let your gentleness, let your meek, gentle spirit be known to everyone. Can I say to you, Paul, there he goes again. There's no loophole here. Let your gentleness be known to whom? To your family? To your spouse? To your girlfriend? To your boyfriend? No, to everyone. To everyone, just like you have no uh, out for having a time or living uh, in a way that's not rejoicing, now you don't have an out in regards to the way that you live. Live a gentle spirit uh, before everybody. It's mildness. It, it, maybe the best word here for you and I to understand it is Christ-likeness. 
let your Christ likeness, your meek and lowly, gentle spirit be known to every individual that you encounter in life. Gentleness is the relational quality that rejoicing produces. I know this is going to come as a shock to you. Well, to everyone here, but maybe three of you. I'm not always that gentle, sweet, Christ-like spirit that you see me on Sundays. I struggle. I get cranky. I'm awful to be around sometimes. Now, I know you're finding that so, so hard to believe, but it's true. Isn't it true, Tony? Go ahead. It's true, isn't it? No, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Man, I was cranky yesterday. I was cranky before that football game. I was really cranky afterwards. When I don't feel good, I don't feel good all over. I'm short. I don't like to talk. I don't like to talk on a good day. But I really don't like to talk to anybody when, when I'm in one of my moods. And you know why that is? You know why I get that way? Because I forget to make the choice to rejoice. I forget to focus my attention on the ultimate truths and the ultimate realities of my life as a child of God. And it is that Christ is my Savior. He lives in my heart. His Spirit lives within me. He's on His throne in heaven. And, and all of that's unchanged regardless of how I feel, what's going on in my world around me. And so I choose to take my focus off of him, and I begin to focus on them <laughs> or on me or whatever. And I don't make the choice to rejoice. I'm not focusing on the right things on the right person, and when I'm not, then all kinds of other feelings and fears and anxieties and worries begin to take over in my life. And what results is I don't look, look or sound very Christ-like. I'm not very gentle. I, I can be short-tempered, and I've I've heard from some of your spouses that some of you can be the same way. Now, I understand Jesus was meek and lowly, but don't acquaint meekness with weakness. They are not the same thing. Jesus was not weak in any way. He was meek. Meekness is power under control. And Jesus, listen to what he says in Matthew 11. Come to me, 
all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. Did you hear that? I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And this is why Paul told the Corinthians in his second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 10 and verse 1, I, Paul, I myself entreat you, I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I appeal to you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He is appealing and treating them to follow Jesus. And so that is how we overcome worry and fear. We, first of all, rejoice. We choose to rejoice and to live a gentle, Christ-like life. Now, he's halfway through his four points about how to find peace. And he states something in five words that it would be easy to miss and overlook and just go on to imperative number three. He says in verse five, the Lord is at hand. Or literally, the Lord is near. What is he saying? The Lord is near. Before he continues to appeal to these people, he says, the Lord is near. He, he could mean that the Lord is near in time. He could be saying, the second coming of Christ is not far away. And I think that's a real possibility, although it's been 2,000 years since Paul wrote those words and the Lord has not come yet. Understand, in God's timing, in God's economy, in God's eschatology of end-time events, that the, the time of the apostles forward is called the last days. Jesus himself said, my coming again is near. So he could be talking about time. He could be talking about proximity. He could be saying the Lord is near. He's near by us. He's near to us. And, and that would certainly be true, would it not? Because the Lord is within us. The Lord is all around us. Nowhere you can go away from God's presence. I think probably the apostle has reference to both of those. That the Lord's coming is soon that the Lord is very close to you. He's in you and he's around you. And he is saying those simple words, the Lord is near in order to encourage them. He realizes he's asking a hard thing. He is commanding a hard thing not to be overcome with worry, not to be overcome with anxiety, not to be overcome with fear, especially living as they had to live in those days and living as we have to live today. But he reminds us the Lord is near at any moment we could hear the shout of the archangel, the sound of the trumpet of God and Christ's return for us. And certainly, even as we are here in this place, and not because it's a church building, but wherever you go from this place today, Jesus is with you. Jesus is near you. He is before you. He is behind you. He is beneath you. He is above you. He is within you. You fear what comes tomorrow. Don't sweat it. He's already there. 
He's already there. And he will be there. So imperative number four. Don't worry. Verse six. Do not be anxious about anything. And again, he leaves us no loopholes. Rejoice always. Be gentle as you live before everyone. Do not be anxious about what? Well, anything. No exceptions. I'm not going to give you an out here so that you can have your own pet peeve to worry and be anxious about. As a Christian, to be worrying and anxious and fearful about anything is to be choosing to take hold of the future by the handle of fear and you're making that choice yourself and it is a sin. He's challenging them to face their fears, to banish anxiety and worry from their hearts and their minds. Now, how can we do that? Now, the world has offered us some ideas. You can find a quiet spot and cross your legs and hold your hands like this and say, serenity now, serenity now. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. Serenity now doesn't work. You can sing the Bobby McFerrin song. It won a Grammy in 1988. After all, what a, great, what a great little song. And the chorus says, don't worry, be happy. You remember that song, those of you that are old enough, don't you? By the way, do you ever remember what the verses of that song talked about? No, all we remember is, don't worry, be happy. The verses sang about homelessness, about poverty, and about loneliness. And it said, and all we remember is the chorus, don't worry, be happy. Well, I'm going to tell you, you can sing that song all you want to, and it won't fix your problem with anxiety and fears and worries. I'm going to tell you, the only way I know to do this, to not worry, is to do two things. It's not going to be on the screen. I didn't put it up there. But it is to remember and to refocus. To remember who you are. Remember God's promises to you. Remember who's really in charge and refocus on Him. That's the only way I know to do this. It's the only way I know. Do you remember the example of, of Peter when uh, the apostles had gotten into the boat and Jesus had stayed behind uh, in Gadara and sent them on ahead and they were heading across the Sea of Galilee and during the night as they were rowing away they looked up and here came what they thought was a spirit. It was Jesus and he was walking on the water and the, the apostles were scared. They'd never seen anything like that. And Peter said, Lord, if that is you, bid me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, come on. And Peter stepped out of the boat and began to walk across the water towards the Savior. But what did he do? 
he began to look around and saw the waves coming. He took his eyes off of Christ and began to look around at his circumstances. And the moment that he did, what happened? He began to sink. He began to sink. And this hardened fisherman that had seen many a storm and had been on this Sea of Galilee and knew it like the back of his hand, all of a sudden was fearful for his life and he cried out in fear to the Lord and the Lord lifted him up and said, Why did you doubt? He became overwhelmed by his circumstances. He needed to remember who he was walking with. He needed to refocus and get his eyes back on the Lord. Jesus has quite a bit to say, by the way, about anxiety and worry in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6. You can go and read that sometime, uh, sometime other than right now. So, Paul's imperatives. This is how you overcome worry and fear, doubt, anxiety. This is the pathway to peace. Choose to rejoice. Live Christ-like before everyone. Don't worry. Focus your attention on Christ. Number four, what goes right along with uh, what he's just said. Instead of worrying, verse 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Rejoice. Be gentle. Don't worry. Pray. And in all of this, remember what is at the center of it, the Lord is near. And again, he leaves no loopholes. Pray about what? Everything. Pray about everything. Don't leave anything out. Pray about everything. Rejoice always. Be gentle before everyone. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. The proposition that follows, do not be anxious about anything, is to pray about everything and to pray with thanksgiving. Listen to what Pastor Kent Hughes says about this. Listen to this quote. Pagan prayers, pagan prayers are destitute of thanksgiving because thankfulness is the posture of grace. And understand, all other religions, all other religions, even some that bear the name Christian, are based not on grace, but on works. But thankfulness is the posture of grace. Those of us that recognize we are only saved because of what Christ has done for us. Thus, at the root of our prayers must be thanksgiving for what God has done for us in Christ through the gospel. In fact, every activity is to be done with thanksgiving for Scripture says, whatever you do, in word or in deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. So at the risk of 
being repetitive. I want to nail these things down. Four imperatives. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. And when we do that, get ready for it, because here comes the promise from God's Word, verse 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. If he were writing today, he might have said, and the peace of God, which will blow your mind, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Satan cannot get to your heart, Christian, if you belong to Christ. If you're a true believer in Jesus, if you've truly had an experience of grace, if you are truly a Christian, your heart belongs to Jesus. But I want to tell you that your mind is where the battleground is. Your mind is where the battleground is. That's why what you read, what you watch, what you listen to, what you allow to come into your mind is what very likely is going to dominate your emotions, your feelings, your attitudes. And anxiety and worry is a battle and a struggle in the mind for Christians. It's a struggle in the mind. And no wonder as we look at the world around us and take it all in, no wonder we're fearful. But that fear doesn't come from God. It comes from the enemy. And notice, if we'll do these things, the peace of God, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, it's a peace unlike anything you'll ever find in this world. The world cannot even duplicate it are imitated. It, it, it's just, it surpasses all understanding. The peace of God will guard your hearts, but it will also guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Peace, the freedom from anxiety, worry, and fear. Peace, isn't that what we're seeking in life? If you don't know Christ as your Savior this morning, you'll never find peace in the world. And these things that, that Paul suggests to the uh, Philippians, not suggests, commands the Philippians, they won't work for you. You can't rejoice always and live a Christ like until you know Christ. That's where you find the beginning of peace. But then for God's people, we want peace in life. It's to know Jesus and it's to walk in his ways. The last paragraph that we read by way of our text, I want to say just one thing as I read it once more. Listen. Verse 9 or verse 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, five adjectives. True, honorable, just, pure, 
lovely. Six, commendable. If there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. By the way, think about the TV programs you watch and the novels you read or whatever you give your attention, your mind to. Are they true? Is it honorable? Is it just? Is it pure? Is it lovely? Is it commendable? If not, you're feeding on the wrong things. He says, think about these things. And then he says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Once again, Paul says, I'm your example. I'm trying to live before you what I'm challenging you to do there at Philippi. Whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and commendable. Think about these. I wouldn't begin to try to evaluate everything to determine what fits that description. But let me say this. I know a person that fits that description. He could be describing Christ. Christ is true. Christ is honorable. Christ is just. Christ is pure. Christ is lovely. Christ is commendable, worthy of praise. Think about Christ and the God of peace, the God who offers a peace that passes all understanding will be with you, and he'll set a guard over your heart and a guard over your mind. Father, thank you for the peace that is only available in Jesus. Father, thank you that we don't have to live lives of worry and anxiety, fretfulness and fear, that certainly there are things in this world that cause all of that, but you are the God who owns this world and everything in it. So we take our eyes off of the world and fix our eyes on you. We remember who you are and we want to refocus our attention on you. And I pray in doing so that you will help us to live lives joyful and rejoicing so that it might draw others to yourself. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Our heart's desire is that you grow and understand the direction God has for you in your life. We hope that by listening today, you are one step closer to discovering that for yourself. If you live in Northwest Arkansas and are looking for a church to call your own, we invite you to reach out to us at Calvary as we study and serve together. We meet for worship at 1030 on Sunday mornings at 1410 North Porter Road in Fayetteville, Arkansas. If you wish to find out more information about Calvary Church or simply contact us, you can do that through our Facebook page or at calvaryfayetteville.com. Until next time, remember that God, His Word, and His people can provide direction for life.